You're listening to God and Comics, the show that proclaims the cross as the best and the ultimate break in continuity. On today's show, The Replacements. Over the years, we've gotten to know our favorite heroes' real names. Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, Peter Parker, Thor Cox Arquette. But what happens when those heroes we know and love are taken out of commission and replaced by other characters? How do we respond? Like, what will people think next season when I'm replaced by Post Malone and Father Matt is replaced by the animatronic Martin Van Buren from the Hall of Presidents at Disney World? <laughs> we'll talk about all this, plus our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am the chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas, and I serve at Our Lady of Walsingham Catholic Cathedral in Houston, Texas. On the line with me is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. And also on the line is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm the rector of Church, of Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Okay, good to see you gentlemen, uh, including poor Father Matt, who's, who's feeling a little bit under the weather. Let's all be nice to Father Matt tonight. All right, we'll try. Only for tonight, though. Uh, okay, uh, our recommendation, Father Kyle, take it away. All right. My recommendation tonight is a three-part miniseries that's produced by DC Comics, their, particularly their Black Label. It's uh, by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, and it's called Batman Last Night with a K on Earth. Um, this uh, is a, actually a concluding piece to the story that Scott Snyder began the New 52 run on Batman with. Um, when Snyder sat down to start that uh, run, he tells the story that he was very intimidated by being asked to write Batman and he didn't quite know where to go with the story and he was feeling, um, feeling like he might just start wandering aimlessly. So he asked an experienced writer for some of his thoughts on how to handle Batman and the recommendation came to him that he should write a beginning, a middle, and an end. And um, so Snyder sat down and he plotted out what the beginning of the story would be, the Court of the Owls, and what the middle of the story would be, which is ultimately uh, Endgame, and then wrote what the end of the story would be. But then in the midst of that, DC decided to shift directions and uh, move on to the Rebirth storyline. So we ended up in the New 52 run that Scott Snyder had with the beginning of the story and the events that led up to the middle and then a movement out of the middle into um, what became the Bloom storyline. But then we never finished the story. Batman just abruptly shifted into Tom King's rebirth. So this was um, Snyder's attempt to wrap up his story. And um, I'll say that it's an excellent wrapping up of the story. And as one might expect from Scott Snyder, it's extremely trippy. It is... Uh, it pulls together a lot of little threads that went through his entire New 52 run. Um, it does a great job of pulling these things together. But basically, it tells the story of um, a crime that Batman is seeking to solve, where people are putting chalk lines down around Gotham City. Um, just chalk lines, nothing else. 
And uh, as he studies this um, phenomenon, he discovers that the chalk lines are his Batman body laying down on the ground, and a murder is committed right where his heart is. And um, that heart is in Crime Alley where his own parents were murdered. And from there, it very quickly moves into um, the realization that Batman is actually locked up in Arkham Asylum and uh, seems to have been out of his mind the entire time, not really Batman. Um, but we come to find out a little bit later that uh, this is a safe house that Alfred has put him in because what's been going on in the world around him is that um, the criminals have ultimately won the day and there's now a post-apocalyptic wasteland that is Gotham City and the world. And so um, Batman sets out, having recovered his sanity, to um, take on this world that has gone down a hellhole. And uh, he does it with the Joker by his side, but the Joker is a head in a lantern, and a talking head in a lantern. And, um, and so ultimately, they uh, proceed to discover what's happening in this post-apocalyptic world, which means them encountering a lot of heroes that um, that you know they knew from earlier on in their lives. I don't want to say too much more beyond that because the story takes a really radical shift. And if I say much more, what's going to happen is I'm going to give away a key thing that you need to be surprised by. But um, ultimately, as I said, uh, this pulls together everything that Snyder did on his new 52 run, and it's got an amazing twist at the end of the story that is going to throw everything for a loop. Everything that you thought was happening in the story is going to get flipped upside down. So um, this is definitely well worth it. It's a three-part series. Um, it is published by DC's Black Label, as I said before, which means that it is intended for mature audiences. There is some profanity in there and some you know, gruesome things happen. We would expect that from Scott Snyder. I was just going to uh, say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His... his New 52 run kind of pushed the boundaries with a lot of that. But it will be released in trade in April. But uh, right now, the only way you can get it is by purchasing the three uh, the three volumes, three issues that have been posted already. So go out and get it. It's excellent. How many issues is it going to be? Just three. Oh, it's, it's just done. three. Are they long issues? Yeah, they're probably like, um, like two issues in one almost. Okay. Yeah. They're, you know, they're standard size comics. A lot of the black label stuff has been uh, extra large in print, mm -hmm. uh, but this is standard size, just about two issues thick, though. Um, took about an hour, hour and 15 minutes to read one issue, so it's pretty, there's a lot of stuff in there. So pretty how much does, does each issue cost, then? Six dollars, I believe. Ooh. Let me look. Okay. Six dollars, yes. Okay. So... If know. you want to hang on for the trade, the trade's probably going to be less. Well, I just uh, at this point, I'm pretty much all trade. What's Capullo doing now? He's sort of disappeared. Is he drawing yeah, something? I don't know, honestly. He hasn't been drawing anything that I've been aware of since um, he did Dark Metal with Scott Snyder. Mm -hmm. And um, and then after Dark Metal, he sort of disappeared. Um, Snyder went back to using Jock, who he did... Um, uh, Black Mirror with originally the Dick Grayson run on Batman and um, and then Snyder went on to do 
Justice League, but Capullo didn't follow him on that, so I'm not exactly sure hmm. where he is. Well, we're going to uh, move now into our main conversation about uh, The Replacements. That's kind of the, the title we've been working with because we couldn't quite think of a, another way of describing this phenomenon. But it is a phenomenon um, in which, uh, particularly in these, these superhero books uh, that have existed for decades and decades, um, and, and what we're talking about there um, is uh, scenarios in which one character... Uh, replaces another and uh, you know particularly like replacing another in their mantle right so Captain America is no you know Steve uh, Rogers is no longer Captain America now it's this other person right uh, uh, Thor is no longer Thor now Thor is Thor instead is that how that works <laughs> <laughs> um, so let, let, let's start this way, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this to Father Kyle to get us going, but just give us a baseline here for people who maybe aren't as familiar with this phenomenon. Why do superhero stories sometimes replace their characters in this way, and uh, what, are, what are a couple of uh, famous examples of this? Yeah, as to the why, I'm not exactly sure sure why superheroes have uh, tended to do this other than to maybe bump up sales a little bit if I'm going to be slightly both cynical and realistic. Um, I think that uh, we kind of started first noticing this sometime back in the 1980s. Marvel really led the way with it. Uh, initially, you know, you mentioned a couple right there. Steve Rogers ceased to be Captain America for a little bit in the 1980s and U.S. agent took over as the character in the Captain America comic books, um, Thor, uh, uh, he switched places. Uh, the Don Blake, the, the man who is Thor, um, was replaced by somebody else. He was a bearded gentleman. Do we, either of you guys remember what his name was? Uh, David Bentley Hart, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds about right. Anyway, you know, uh, <laughs> I do remember that Thor was later replaced by Beta Ray Bill. Beta um, Ray Bill. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Tony Stark was eventually replaced. Uh, and um, we had War Machine right. in the place of Iron Man for a little bit, right? I was going to say by Don Cheadle, but that's in the movie. That's not. <laughs> he was, wouldn't it be great if he was actually replaced by Don Cheadle? Like they drew Don Cheadle into the story that's somehow. Right. That's right. So, but that, you know, that phenomenon, uh, as I said, that really did begin with Marvel. But DC kind of picked up with it in the 1990s. And of course, the two big examples in DC are the Death of Superman storyline or the Reign of Superman storyline, where. Upon the death of Superman, we had four different um, characters that took the place of Superman. Uh, you know, Superboy, Connor Kent, and um, uh, the Eradicator, and Cyborg Superman, and uh, who was the other one? Now, Steel. That's it, Steel. Steel. Yeah, John Henry Irons. And then, um, and then, of course, with the Nightfall storyline, we had... Uh, Jean-Paul Valley, who took over Azriel, who took over as Batman for a while, and then Dick Grayson took over as Batman for a while. So, um, you know, we had those. We had um, Green Lantern 2, Kyle Rayner taking over for Hal Jordan. So all that stuff is just to say that, 
you know, this sort of took off in the 80s, carried on into the 90s. We've seen it continuing today. I think a lot of times it's just based on a desire to spice things up in the comic and to uh, potentially, um, you know, potentially increase sales a little bit. But those are my thoughts. It's always easier to work off of an existing character, right? And and to do something new there than to create a character from scratch. I mean, the first wave of replacements, actually, I mean, that was the Silver Age, right? I mean, we had a new Green Lantern. Yeah, uh, that's and a true. New, a new Flash. Um, in Marvel mm-hmm. Comics, you know... Um, there was a new Human Torch um, for the Fantastic Four, um, and they brought back some of the Golden Age characters, not as replacements, but, um, but you know, Captain America was found frozen in a block of ice and, and whatnot. I, I think in recent times, a major motivating factor in, in uh, these replacements has, has been to introduce more diversity both in terms of gender and of ethnicity um so like we just had a last huge wave of all different replacement characters it seemed like every established character in comics was being replaced by um you know a a a, a male uh was being replaced by a woman or 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 um or uh um, a person of color of some kind. So you have famously Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe is replaced with um, Miles Morales. You had um, Sam Wilson uh, replacing Steve Rogers as Captain America. You had Jane Foster uh, replacing uh, and taking on the mantle of Thor. You had a female Thor. You had... Um, Laura Kinney. Uh-huh. Laura Kinney becomes Wolverine. Laura Kinning, yeah, becomes an yeah, all sure. new, all different Wolverine or whatever they mm-hmm. they call it. You have um, Carol Danvers takes on the mantle of Captain Marvel. Um, yeah, although I would say I would say with that one, that's that's less of a replacement per se than it is like a successor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and just like there's a there's a sort of a lag, right? There's a lag between when they kind of stop doing much with sure. Cap, the original Captain Marvel and when they kind of it's elevate full, her title. It's a full on it's a full on reboot, yeah. really. I mean, mm-hmm. but but um, all that to say, it it seemed to be a, a, an intentional movement on Marvel's part to make their character characters less white and less male and to uh introduce a a a whole lot more diversity into the into the books and 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 they did that um there i mean iron man iron man also um who who was the young black woman that was wearing the iron man suit riri williams yeah um in DC, I mean, you, you saw you, you saw uh, similar uh, movements towards representation, and and and, and in some some respects, uh, in, in some situations, uh, replacing 
old characters with 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 new versions of the same character. Um, yeah, I th- and I think that's a pretty accurate statement that that's where that's coming from today. I don't think it began that way, but I definitely think that's the motivation that lies behind a lot of it that we see today. And um, and you know, there's some benefit to that, perhaps. I mean, one positive you could look at out of that is the fact that um, that you know people who are not uh, you know white males are going to be attracted to a character who might be more like them. Um, yeah. So there's value to that. It's about representation. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and in the past, they, they, they haven't had, they didn't do it with replacements, but they created female versions of the male characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you had a Batgirl, you had a Spider-Woman, you had a She-Hulk. You had a Supergirl, um, you know, they, they, why? Because it's a lot easier to work with an existing property than to create a whole new character. Um, so Marvel has, uh, you know, always struggled to, uh, get female led books off, you know, off the ground. Part of it is because you know, creating a whole new character from scratch is hard. It's much easier to make Thor into a female character. Um, and then you already have a whole, you know, a fan base to work with. Um, well, and if I could suggest a, a just a caveat to that, that because, um, you know, I mean, there's a cynical way to look at that. Um, and I think, you know, one of the one of the criticisms that sometimes gets thrown out there is well why why don't they just create new heroes you know like what what rather nobody than nobody would buy them. it <laughs> right well but they i mean they have done that in the past right i mean you know you, you mentioned um uh some of these characters in marvel but like i mean you know they all they also created the black panther and they created you know um, Naomi, Brian right. Michael Bendis' new character. Luke Cage and so forth. I mean, I'm even going back further yeah. than that, right? Like, there, So there have been yeah. these characters, um, and they didn't and, necessarily and, yeah. have the same uh, cash value, <laughs> so to speak, as uh, Spider-Man or, or uh, Captain America. Uh, but they've become, you know... Um, uh, well-known characters in and of themselves. But I would say one of the things that... And maybe this is one of the things that's worth talking about with this this whole concept of replacement um, is that there are certain characters who I think are the the mantle of their of their hero uh, of their heroics is uh-huh. larger than them, uh-huh. right? You can kind of understand why there would be an idea because one of the problems yeah. I think that comics encounters all the time is that you've got this just massive continuity of uh uh-huh. for some of these figures of like 70 or 80 years um but if like if batman's a real person he's not doing this for 75 <laughs> years right like right, at some point he's gonna have to step down and so you know just as a matter of course that's something worth exploring a little bit in the stories but then what we end up with is we end up with like 15 different people who've been batman yeah but 
because they're always going to eventually revert back to uh, the character that we know. But I think one of the reasons on that on the diversity end why there why there's a um, why there might be a good reason to uh, at least introduce some of these characters by way of replacement is because these are larger than life. These are archetypes. And so to have somebody to kind of stand in them for a minute uh, gives them more weight, more gravity, so that inevitably, if you, you know, okay, so we know that Steve Rogers is not forever gone, right? Like, he's iconic, he's going to be Captain America again. But now we've given this other character enough weight that if we give them something else, if we give them their own their own book or, you know, their own other thing that it might start to actually take off and give some real genuine ongoing diversity to this world that these figures live in. Yeah. I think that's the, the, perhaps the hope and desire. Um, cynically, I'll say you look at that though. And I don't think all those, a lot of those do end up taking off even when they do that, Mm -hmm. because it's the, the archetype character that matters even more than who's in the shoes of it. Right. Mm-hmm. of that particular person the one of the only ones that really managed to do it at, at least in modern times is um or recent times i should say is modern times in recent <laughs> times is uh, i'm living in the past um the chaplin is my, film i assume that's what you're talking about right the what the the charlie chaplin film modern times yeah that's right yeah <laughs> so miles morales right miles mm-hmm. morales was able to become something more but he still held on to the mantle of Spider-Man. They just had to introduce him as a second Spider-Man into the Marvel universe in order for that yeah. to last. But I mean, you look at even you look at like Steel. Um, Steel lasted a while in the '90s, but he's not really around now. You know, Shaquille O'Neal's movie killed that. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess he's become like kind of a character in his own right. I mean, my my son has a steel toy. <laughs> like a new steel toy? Yeah, Maginex steel. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like a little guy in Maginex. Um, kind of I mean, lingers he, around. He's been in a, in a lot of the animated shows and stuff. He's become like kind of a character in his own right. But mm-hmm. but it's it's hard for any kind of C-level character like that to hold their own book. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why it, 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 if, if it's got a basis in an established property, like Mar- like Marvel, you know, they're, all of a sudden we have a ton of spider people. You yeah. know? And, I mean, and, and why not? Spider-Man sells like hotcakes, you know, like it's like their best-selling book. So why not make spinoffs if you're going to create new characters? Have a, you know, Miles Morales. I mean, it, it, he's got his own book, um, Spider Man 2099. You have uh, Spider Gwen, aka the Ghost Spider. You have Silk. You have, you know, you have all these different spinoff. Pro- you have Spider Woman. Um, you have there was a Spider Girl book for a while. You have all these. Uh, variations on the spider-man theme or spin-off spider people characters that are automatically going to be more successful than if you created a a whole new female character or or whatever new character at all out of out of nowhere um dc does it with batman 
I mean, uh, spinoff books from Batman are always going to sell in, in, in DC. Um, I mean, some characters, though, like like Jonathan was saying, their character lends itself more to, uh, you know, this idea. I mean, the Green Lantern is always the Green Lantern is like it's it's like an office that you hold, right? <laughs> uh, so anyone with the ring could be Green Lantern. So I mean, like, um, I mean, you have to be worthy, obviously, you have to be right. chosen, you know, but. But I mean, um, so it's always been. I mean, how many different Green Lanterns has there been? Uh, well, a lot, and actually, that's a, that's, that's a good example too, um, in terms of like diversity, but also in terms of characters sticking. Right. So John Stewart first gets introduced in the in the seventies. Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, but there there are people for whom he is their Green Lantern, right? Like if you grew up watching the Justice League cartoons. John Stewart is your Green Lantern, and Green Lantern yeah. is, a, is a flexible enough uh, type of story that all of those characters can exist there together, and they don't, you know, they don't obscure each other. The storyline's large enough to hold that because of that idea of a core. Um, unlike other characters, where I don't think the storyline's big enough to hold that, and I I know Matt, you just kind of ran through all the the spider-man ones and honestly as a spider-man fan i'm kind of turned off by the multitude of spider characters that there are because i feel like in some ways it it almost um cheapens the character peter parker it it you know there's something unique and special to me as a spider-man fan about peter parker but now that you've got like a million spider people all over the place he feels like a Mm -hmm. lesser character somehow so well, uh, yeah. Sticking with with Spider Man for a second, um, you know, what about something like uh, that that period of time where um, where Doc Ock was was Spider Man uh, inside uh, of Peter Parker's head? Or yeah, yeah. The, the superior Spider Man. Yeah. I mean, he's he's. Got, I haven't been picking it up because there's like can't even buy all the spider-man books. yeah you'd go broke i mean but like uh he even superior spider-man you know the guy spider-man has his own book you know he is again yeah 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 i mean there's a whole spider verse you know um it's like a thing now you know and 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 i mean the movie's great especially since they make kind of like in the movie, you know, Peter Parker's like the elder Spider-Man. Um, but, I mean, currently, uh, Miles, it talked about a replacement. My favorite Spider-Man book, hands down, is is, is the Miles Morales Spider-Man book. Um, I, I far prefer it over, the, uh, over any of the books involving Peter Parker right now. Um, it just, it just feel he feels more vital. He feels almost closer to the, the uh, Spider-Man character to me right now than than, than Peter Parker does. I mean, par- partly because Peter Parker seems so weighed down with a couple decades of like not very good storytelling <laughs> that's just left him sort of, sort of uh, jumble a jumbled figure for me. You don't even need to follow the main Spider-Man book. 
there's a million options where you could read, you know, retro Spider-Man stories and, and, and stuff like that. Um, it's it, it, comic books have a way of when you have a successful character, they proliferate, you know, different versions of the character. Superman's the same way. We have currently we have two different versions of Superboy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know, we had Supergirl and Superwoman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we had a we had a Chinese Superman. Right. Well, um, this is what I was saying before: is no nothing ever goes away. So you right. can introduce that replacement, and you know, at some point, like, okay, we're gonna get back to Clark Kent, to the the you know the sort of like the iconic idea. But whatever you've you've put out there, nothing in comics ever disappears, and so all, so eventually. Whether you planned it that way or not, you end up with this whole constellation of sort of semi-connected, yeah. related uh, characters. Well, which goes yeah. back to your Superior Spider-Man thing, right? And to answer your question earlier about Superior Spider-Man, I thought that was a personally thought that was a bad turn for Spider-Man comics. <laughs> I mean, it was a the fear was it was going to last. Let me say that. You know, That's always the little, fear. As a little, little like fans don't like story, these replacements. Okay, why but do we fear then... that though? Because it, they they never di- like you know, it's sort of like you know yeah. when these characters die and we go well, okay, but we know they're coming back. So like, why well, why do we even bother to get upset about it? It's like okay, well for the next six months, uh, Spider Man's going to be this guy over here. I know. You just learn to run with it. I, I remember when I was um, when I was in high school and they were doing the Clone Saga, and uh, all of a sudden, oh, it turns out that Peter Parker that I've been reading for the last right, you know, decade wasn't the real Peter Parker. He was a clone. Right. And then they introduced the Scarlet Spider, and he was this lame guy with like a ripped up hoodie. You know, and it was like, this is so stupid. I'm never buying this book again. You know, <laughs> the Scarlet Spider, who, who now he still has his own book. They don't go away. Right. You know, they're just, they don't. Uh, all the clones are still hanging around there. Just one more spider person out yeah. there. Heroes don't you know? die, they multiply. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, fear, the fear is, though, I think, to get back to your question, I think the fear is, though, with it, that we actually do become attached to more than just the hero. Mm-hmm. We become attached sometimes to the people who inhabit the costume of the hero. Of like course. for me, sure. Peter Parker is Spider-Man and I like Peter Parker. So they can have a million Spider-Men out there. But part of what attracts me to Spider-Man is actually the Peter Parker character and the story that he goes through as a human, right? Or Bruce Wayne that, you know, I'm attracted. That sounds terrible. I'm attracted to Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I did not mean. That I mean, in who that wouldn't way. be? He's rich. He's right. you know. Not that there's anything wrong with a that. Nice to quote car. George Costanza or Jerry Seinfeld, right? But yeah. okay, just just keep going, Father. <laughs> Don't dig it deeper. <laughs> but the uh, yeah no so like you know I I think that. Having grown up with the Bruce Wayne character, I feel a connection to his character as well as to the Batman character. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and consequently, when he gets changed, the fear is, is that going to mean that we're not going to have him anymore? And I got to get used to a whole other guy in his right. story. It's a hard emotional and, investment. Know? But here's, here's yeah. my question. Here's my question about that. So there are, because there are certain characters that have a kind of inherent built-in replacement uh, movement towards replacement that we seem to be able to accept. And they're usually smaller characters or characters yeah. that don't have as much iconic weight to them. So, for instance, you know, there have been several vixens. Mm-hmm. Fine. Yeah, there've been several. There've been, but, but, I mean, you know, there have been, been more than one Ant-Man. There's been more than Blue one Beetle. right like so they're like some of the dr fate like there's some of these characters that they it's almost like you sort of half expect it's almost like doctor who like you know like you're like okay mm-hmm. if i watch doctor who long enough doctor right. who's going to turn into somebody else and that'll be fine mm-hmm. um uh now all the doctor who fanboys are going to get on my case because that's not exactly what happens but whatever <laughs> um <laughs> But you see my point, like there's some of these characters that that we're fine with that with, but then they're and and the thing is, like y- nobody's gonna care if we don't go back three doctor fates, sure. but if we never went back to, so you know Batman, we've named three or four people who've been Batman. It yeah. always ends up coming back to Bruce Wayne um whether whether we say today that Captain America is um uh bucky barnes or uh you know whoever john walker yeah wasn't that the u.s agent john walker yeah it's we know it's always going to end up coming back to being steve rogers so what's the difference between those characters is it just that they're we know them better and so our investment in them is higher or is there actually some material difference between that type of character and the ones who are a little bit more um, expected to be replaceable. I think that um, I think that it's really boils down to the depth of storyline and the length of storytelling. Uh, you know, like the Doctor Fates. I mean, Doctor Fate hasn't had a really established comic that much, so they can flip Doctor Fate around because you don't get invested in Kent Nelson. You know. I mean, we didn't get a lot of Kent Nelson stories, so it's okay when the time comes on and it becomes Irma, whatever her name was, you know, or whoever's Dr. Fate now. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think that's ultimately what it boils down to is that a lot of these characters that we feel the deep connection with have had long runs, and we've been let in on their personal story for a long time, um, and, it's you know, it's hard to separate from that. I mean, look at it, put it this way. You ask anyone on the street who is Batman's secret identity, they're mm-hmm. going to tell you it's Bruce Wayne. You ask someone on the street who Ant-Man's secret identity <laughs> is, and they're not going to care. Paul Rudd. They're going to say Paul, Paul Rudd. Rudd. Yeah. Paul Rudd, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, um, so, like, it's, you know, Batman's an A-list character. I mean, not that, you know, here's the thing. I'm, you know, if you have been a longtime reader of the Avengers, maybe you have some connection with with Doctor Pym. You know, as 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 Ant Man, sure, but it's not it's that not that big of a deal. Um, but he's mostly Ant Man more than than anything else. Um, but like, I mean, there there are there are some replacements that stuck around for a long time. 
and have actually built like have have actually contributed to the character in their own right uh and then like kind of dug down roots the the biggest example i could think of is wally west is the flash yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, wally west was the kid flash um and and became the flash and many of us grew up with the wally west flash that's who we knew of as as the flash wally west i mean when he was wally west in the cartoon you know uh, along with john stewart is the the, the the Green Lantern. Um, it wasn't just like six months. It was a significant time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was the Flash. Um, and and you have you have I mean among Flash enthusiasts, you have disagreements. You know, who's the better Flash? Barry Allen or Wally West? That's true. Although um, as as you already pointed out earlier, Father Barry Allen is himself a replacement. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and the the original Flash, what was his name again? Jay, um, Jay, Jay Garrett. Garrett. Garrett, yeah. Jay Garrick. He was a replacement, and they even they they brought him back. They, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I I think that sometimes these re- replacements stick. Uh, you sometimes, know, no one yeah. today is really clamoring to have Jay Garrick as the Flash, <laughs> or or who was the original Green Lantern. Alan Scott. Alan, Alan Scott. Scott. Yeah. Nobody's saying, you know, bring back Alan Scott. Actually, the, they did. When that was, uh, you know, a large part of the catalyst of rebirth. Is a number of people were wanting him back. But I mean, your point's taken that. Yeah, it's he, kind of as a nostalgia got, thing, right? Yeah, as a nostalgia thing. But I mean, you know, I mean, replacements could stick. Nobody, nobody's um, clamoring to bring back the android. Uh, human torch like you know the human torch is <laughs> since they made the human torch actually a human instead of a robot torch mm-hmm. it's just been downhill from there i yeah. mean like people even forget that there was a human torch before yeah. the fantastic four you know um sometimes Which, replacements you know are enduring um, it is it is interesting in light of that to note that you know after DC did their rebirth event, Marvel um, responded with uh, their own gosh, what was it called now? Legacy. They responded with the whole legacy movement because I think they realized they had done too much replacing of their heroes for all of the you know diversity purposes oh, well, and they sure. lost such a disc they lost such a connection with their fan base that they kind of had to do a little bit of a reset i mean when you've got a different hulk a different captain america a different spider-man all their know, characters were all different. of the main different thor all the main ones are no longer who you grew up with it's a really hard thing for for old school people to stick around. It, yeah, but it's not even who you grew up with. I mean, it's insane because it's like these characters are huge right now in the movies, you know? Mm-hmm. And and you got a whole new group of fans of, of, of all these characters. Okay, kids, you like Thor Ragnarok? Pick up Thor. Oh, wait. It's a totally different character, <laughs> right, right? You know, um, you know, you like uh, Captain America. Oh, it's a totally different character. Um, yeah. 
you like Spider-Man Homecoming, it's a totally different character. I mean, it just, it's kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Um, and I, 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 you know, I honest, I don't think it was ever intended to be permanent. I think, you know, it got, it got them an article in Time Magazine or Newsweek or whatever it was. It was, it got a lot of attention. It helped get, uh, you know, comic books that had long had this kind of uh, reputation as being, you know, boys club, sexist. It, it helped take some steps into casting off that image a little bit, um, which was necessary. Um, and, and just our culture is changing. It's not, it's just, it's not okay now to just have a group of all white male characters. I mean, um our, 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 our cultural expectations are different than that. Um, so you have to kind of adapt with the times a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're right that, that replacing everybody at the top of your masthead all at one time is probably not a smart decision, either from a financial <laughs> standpoint or from a or from a storytelling standpoint, because if your goal is to actually create that diversity in the way we talked about earlier, by having these characters sort of start out taking the mantle and then giving them a launch into something else, they don't get that same launch if they're not like part of what gives them the credibility is that they're surrounded by the people you know, and so you see the people you know interacting with them, and that mm -hmm. creates a bond for you. So mm -hmm. I think you're right that that was, it was probably too much too quickly. But that being said, there are there have been a couple of places where that has just and not so much maybe with the the absolute top tier, but where it's worked really well. And I would say um, a great example of that is uh, Kamala Khan, right, Ms. Marvel, mm -hmm. who technically speaking is a replacement character right i mean uh -huh. she is she taking absolutely over, is yeah. taking over the mantle of ms marvel um from uh uh carol uh danvers but she is so different and was just done so well the way that that um g willow wilson created her and created a great backstory for her created a world for her um, that has really kind of taken off and I think made her um, a much more interesting character and 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 one that, you know, I think is going to endure, not because she's um, Pakistani-American, but, um, but because everything about her is, is new and different and fresh and feels like, you know, something that's worth following. Um, and, and it doesn't shy away from the reality that, you know, that she is Pakistani and that that has certain, uh, realities for her that are going to be different, um, from some of the other characters that we've met. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair enough statement. Again, you look at it though, and she's not a top tier character, which gets back to that main point. I think less, fewer people had a connection with the character of Ms. Marvel Right. to allow that to be able to happen. You know, she's yeah. stuck because there was room to work with her much in the same way that a, you know, like a character like Blue Beetle could go well, from Ted Cord to oh, Jamie Ray. Sure. And she's not only, not know? only was she a different person, but she was like a, a different power set, 
a different yeah. location, a different set of gifts, like everything, yeah. you know, it was, it was enough of a reboot that yeah. you could kind of like dig into it at, at that level. And Carol Danvers still existed. Yeah. They didn't kill her off. She became, she moved on and she became Captain Marvel. Right. You know, so if you're a fan of Carol Danvers, she's still there. Um, you know, one of the strategies has always been like when Miles Morales became Spider-Man, you know, he it, it was kind of a big deal. He replaced Peter Parker. Sure. But it was in an alternate world. And right. everybody who grew up reading Spider-Man, you, that world still exists. This is a different world. And in this world, Miles Morales is Spider-Man. I wish it would have stayed that way. Like, it is confusing as heck having them in the same world. Because I I don't even understand how those two continuities overlap at all. Yeah. I'm just, you know, maybe this is... No, it's, that's true. But it doesn't make a bit of sense. Like, like in the latest Miles story, the, the big old Green Goblin from Ultimate Spider-Man's in it. Like, how does he fit into the Marvel universe now? Is there two different Green Goblins? Like, <laughs> I, I, like I, it just confuses me. It makes my head spin. We've really and stretched just, this idea of a multiverse about as far as it, we can take it. Like, and yeah. they, they just piled them all together, you know. And, mm. and it's just like it's it's bad. And then you have like now, uh, I, I've really enjoyed the Ghost Spider book. I've been I've been reading uh, the 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 new Ghost Spider, the Spider Gwen. Oh, yeah. uh, they had to change her name because I mean, there's already a Spider Woman, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she was Spider Woman. You can't call her Spider Gwen because that doesn't make any sense. Oh, uh, so they, they changed the name of the book. It's not Spider Gwen anymore. No, yeah. it's called Ghost, Ghost Spider. Spider. Oh, she's Ghost Spider. Um, oh man, which I is, liked it as Spider Gwen. Oh well. Yeah, but nobody called her Spider Gwen in the comic. It was Obviously, just the name yeah, at the yeah. top of the. Yeah. But uh, I mean, so she's got an amulet now, and she is from one dimension, and she, but she goes to college in Peter Parker's dimension. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so she's like she's jumping back and forth. You know, so mm-hmm. they she gets to have her own world, but she also gets to cross over constantly into the Marvel you know, universe, whether it's 616. I've been reading that book with my, my kids because my, my, both of my kids really like Spider-Man. And like trying to explain to them the concept of the, the multiverse. It's like, okay, kids, now she's in Peter Parker's 616 universe, you know? I mean, yeah. they're like, they're like so confused by that. Really? And then trying to understand how that fits in with the Spider-Verse movie and oh it's not the same. I tried oh, to yeah, right. I tried to explain to my wife at one point that we're on Earth 616 sort of and uh she just looked at me like I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gets a lot worse than the DC universe. Too. I know. I know. Have you seen that map that uh that um what's his name grant morrison did no. of, the, multiverse. of the multiverse it's insane and it's gotten blown out now that the source wall's gone there's 
you know, all kinds of other worlds as well. And apparently the Marvel 616 world is mm-hmm. in DC's universe. Nice. Well, yeah. Well, it has to be because they had crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like, yeah, it's part of the multiverse. Okay. Um, I mean, and so that that creates a lot of possibility for replacement characters without killing off the original. Yeah. You know, which is an, interest, an interesting way. You could always t- you could always say you could always tell a whole different story. Imagine this world in which Bruce Wayne's father is Batman instead of mm-hmm. him. Thomas Wayne is Batman instead of him. You know, you can tell that story because of the multiverse. Well, and there's there's also the, if diversity is something that you're working on, I mean, one of the other ways of doing that is just to, is just to make it, like, retcon it, right? So, like, um, right? So Nick, Nick Fury was, was a white dude for right. most of the history of comics, and then right. he became a black dude, and... Because of Samuel because Jackson. Because of Samuel right? Jackson, basically. And, now, now and it's if you fine, see, right? Like, who cares? You know, there's no real, like. Well, there's people that are pissed about that. Well, but, yeah, like, but. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but now if you see White Nick Fury, it makes you uncomfortable. It's like, this is yeah. racist. <laughs> it's like, which isn't fair, but, like, it feels wrong now. Like, well, I yeah, because White quite... Nick Fury d- created the whole original sin problem. It, it, it <laughs> is the problem. Like, I was watching a cartoon. We were watching First a cartoon. And my Nick wife Fury. saw White Nick Fury. And she's like, what is this? Why is he a white dude? She's like, they changed him? I'm like, no, he was originally white until he, Sam Jackson made him black. Yeah. So. Um, also, he didn't used to have those snakes on his plane. That's no. right. Anyway, okay. So let let me uh, ask you guys this. This this may be a little bit of a stretch, but it is something that I've been thinking about with this. So here we are, three uh, uh, clergy, right? Um, and we've all either been pastor, you know, either you like you guys are pastors of parishes right now. Uh, I've been the pastor of a parish. Um, and there is something to be said for um, the the idea of our replaceability, <laughs> right? I mean, think about this for a second, right? Like, because you, the worst thing that can happen in in a church is if you have a pastor who becomes a complete cult of personality, yeah, and so that absolutely. then when the pastor leaves the whole thing folds in on itself because it was all basically being held up by this this person, right? And so to a certain extent, especially if you have a, a, a kind of high sacramental view of the ministry, um, you know, you're, you're not just like, like theoretically anybody could be you who's ordained as well, mm-hmm. right? Like because you're standing there um, in the, in the, uh, the position of the person who is speaking the words of Christ to the people or who is, um, you know, celebrating the sacraments, but, but essentially like 
you know, um, I always thought it was funny when, when I would do funerals and, uh, not funny, but like a little bit odd, like I do a funeral or, or a wedding or something and people would come up to me afterwards who like obviously hadn't been to church in a really long time or whatever. And they'd be like, thank you. That was a beautiful service. And I, it's always like a weird thing because, because yeah. you think to yourself, well, you know, I didn't write it, right? Like, <laughs> right. I, I gotta is, make this up, right? I just like I'm just the guy saying the word. I was up all night writing that right. liturgy. Let me know? think about this, dearly beloved. Yes, that sounds good. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we don't want to be completely devoid of personality. I mean, obviously, there is sure. something specific that each one of us through who we are, through who God has made us to be, brings to the role of ministry. So I don't know exactly what I'm asking here, but I'm just wondering yeah, if there's no, not well, some connection point here. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why we wear, uh, why we wear vestments, mm-hmm. or at least why um, priests in a lot of traditions, maybe not yours, dear listener, but why... why uh, <laughs> Uh, ministers in a lot of traditions wear vestments. Um, so it's not just about, you know, me and my quirky personality. Like, look at me. I've got like this, like graphic Mickey Mouse t-shirt and like a cool pair of designer jeans. Let me show Skinny off how, jeans. let me show you how like funky and like eccentric and urban hip I am. You know, it's like, I wear the same vestments that my predecessor wore, and if 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 I'm sick on on a Sunday, uh, and and someone needs to step in, they'd wear those same vestments. You know, um, mm-hmm. my 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 personality is 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 hid, and I you know I'm 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 I'm, I'm officiating. I'm I'm celebrating. I'm I'm playing the part. You know, I'm not, it's not about, you know, Matt Stromberg up there. I'm in personae Christi. Where I think personality, I think it does come in is um, maybe preaching um, that each of us, who was it, who was it that, that said preaching was, um, was God's word communicated through personality? Um, mm. famous preacher I think it might have been Philip Brooks or, or someone like that uh, mm. who said that um, but um, you know, each of us maybe brings our own perspective to preaching God's word um, but um, you definitely don't want to like add in your own personal flourishes and idiosyncrasies when you're celebrating the mass, you know, you don't want, you want, you don't want it to be about you and your, um, and your, 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 your unique style. I mean, there, there's some priests that do that, that kind of feel like they need to personalize it or something and like all of a sudden go off script or something like that. And I, I, you know, I think that's a mistake, Mm -hmm. but I mean, in the same way, you know, in the Spider-Verse movie, they talked, like, you know, um, there was that one scene where everybody was wearing the Spider-Man mask. It's like, mm-hmm. potentially, you know, any of us could be Spider-Man. 
you know, anyone who steps up to the call, you know. Remember that, um, that right. book, like six or six or eight years ago. That book, We Are Robin. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, so any anyone who's who's validly called and ordained can can call the, the stall and the chasuble and stand in personae Christi up there, you know, and and and, and say the mass. Um, ideally that's true um you know ideally the office is the thing that is most important right in in what we do but i think we can't deny the reality that our personality does come through i mean not adding the flourishes and all of that stuff but on some (laughs) level yes i mean i say the liturgy different than you guys say the liturgy, right? Um, when we do it, just because our personality comes through in the way we say it. I say it differently than another priest would. You know, another priest say it differently than I would. We preach differently um, because we just have different ways of speaking. We have uh, different ways of conducting ourselves. So our personalities do come through whether we want them to or not. And we're also part of a faith community Mm-hmm. And being part of that faith community, even though, you know, I do agree with you that when we preach and and especially when we preach, let me say this, it shouldn't be about me. Right. I'm not up there telling you about me. And I never use illustrations about myself. I maybe use like three of them ever um, in a sermon. But at the same time, there is something about me that comes through in my preaching and being part of that faith community. People connect with me as a person in addition to the office. And I think that at the end of the day, that is why churches tend to have a hard time when somebody's been there for a long time. You've become a part of somebody's life um, and they've on some levels become a part of yours for a period of time, right, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that going back to what we were talking about before, um, with having difficulty with some of our heroes that we've invested in leaving, our communities, our churches face that, right? Whether we want them to or not. Mm-hmm. So ideally, we should have the office be the main thing. But I do think our personalities come through, and that becomes an important part of our lives as priests. We, we, we all may wear the same vestments, but uh, only a few of us can uh, extend our arm and show a little bit of a tattoo so you know we have a past. <laughs> was that at me? <laughs> it was sort of a little bit at you, and it was a little bit of uh, Sunday's coming. Yeah, Remember Sunday's yeah. coming, right. <laughs> so, okay. Well, we certainly hope that you won't replace our podcast with some other podcast with uh, three clergymen discussing comic books. Um, but if you do, uh, please tell us about it. Cause we'd like to actually listen to that podcast. Maybe it would be better than ours. <laughs> I don't know. It'll be the bizarro podcast. The bizarro podcast. Yeah. It's like our podcast, but with like high production value and, <laughs> That's right. you know, carefully thought out theological statements, nobody making puns, you know, um, anyhow, uh, but since that podcast doesn't yet exist, you're stuck with us. Um, and we'd love to uh, hear what you think about replacements uh, and uh, all of the above. So hit us up on social media, will you? 
we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash godandcomics, or you can tweet at us. We are on Twitter, at godandcomics. But right now we're going to move on to our final segment, This or That. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man? This or that. Spider-Man or Superman? This or that. Boxes or briefs? This or that. DVD or VHS? This or that. Dungeons or Dragons? This and that. Moses or Elijah? This or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? Okay, I'm going to start with, with uh, Father Kyle. Uh, Pre-Lent or... Ordinary time, or I guess uh, for you guys, it's the season after Epiphany, which doesn't have a name. Yeah, it's kind of the tail end of Epiphany for us. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, um, you know, thinking of Epiphany as being the season in which we get little glimpses of revelation into who Jesus is, I'll stick with that time and say that that it's kind of fun working our way through little snapshots of Jesus along the way. Hmm, interesting. Now, you grew, You said you grew up with the 28 prayer book, right? Yep. So you yep. Re- do you remember the Jessimas? Oh, yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's yeah. weird in my context now because um, the ordinariate has pre-Lent. So mm-hmm. when I'm at Walsingham, everything's purple and okay. jessimas and you know you don't say alleluia and so on and so forth and it's pre-lent uh however the archdiocese of galveston houston is still in ordinary time so then uh, i go to the school and i put on green and we do the ordinary and so it's like yeah. i get i get a little shell-shocked sometimes trying to remember who i am and where i am at any given moment uh stephen colbert or conan o'brien um, you know, I, I haven't wa- really watched, uh, Stephen Colbert's, um, late night show. I mean, I, I've seen clips on like, you know, social media and stuff like that. Um, but I don't watch a lot of TV, let alone late night talk shows anymore. Um, but Stephen Colbert of the Colbert Report is just uh, unforgettable. I'm gonna, I, I, and not that Conan O'Brien is is not is not also hilarious, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with Stephen Colbert. Okay, Father Kyle, for this next one, uh, let me ask you a pre a pre question before I ask you this one. Uh, would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Introvert. Okay. Uh, then this is the right question for you. Uh, here are your options, Father Kyle. Stuck at a party where you have to talk to a hundred people you don't know or one person you can't stand. <laughs> uh, I would rather have to talk to a hundred people that I didn't know than one person I couldn't stand. Interesting. I can make my way. I have learned how to not be as introverted, um, but it is very difficult to be around a person that you just don't like and have to make small talk with them. Uh, that's even tougher. Hmm. I find that I pro- it's a really ch- it's challenging for me to know which one of those to go with. I guess it depends on like how long I have to talk to each of the hundred people. Yeah, there's a good question attached to it, but. 
I, I know, you know, as long as I could have like a day to be alone afterwards, then I could deal with the hundred people. <laughs> <laughs> Father Matt, are you a extrovert? You're kind of extroverted, aren't you? I, I'm like an omnivore. You've probably never heard of it. An omnivore. Is <laughs> I like an omnivore? <laughs> Yeah, I'm 50% introvert and 50% extrovert. So you I, eat, I tend, eat both kinds I tend of people. To, I tend to lean on the extroverted side. So if I take that Myers-Briggs thing, I usually mm-hmm. come out extroverted, but at 50%. Um, so, but I, I, yeah, no, I mean, I, like if I go to a party, I, I get jazzed up. You know, and and then I, I can't. You know, like when I like like right now after recording this podcast, I'm not going to be able to just go to sleep. Like I'm gonna still my I'm still gonna be like my mind's still gonna be running, and I'm gonna have to like wind down. I'm gonna have to read like a novel or something and just chill. Mm-hmm. Like, but you know, Scott, I, 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 I could talk to a hundred people fine, and like it's like. You know, I'm like the guy where it's like, I'm that one guy that like you can't stand because he won't shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, Like, I can't do small talk is like kryptonite for me. I just can't like, I mean, I obviously like I do it because you have to do it because you're just in these situations where you have to do it. But like, and I feel like this is really like, in some ways, this is almost more of an introvert-extrovert distinction, I think, than even, like, um, whether or not you uh, like groups or something like that. Um, although, spoiler alert, I don't really like groups. But, uh, <laughs> but like, like, when you're introverted, it's like there's this... If you are going to talk to people, there's, like, this need to immediately get to a topic that matters, right oh i I can identify with that so like i'd be okay with talking to a hundred people i mean i'd still be worn out by it but i'd be okay with talking to a hundred people about like the meaning of life and like what really like deeply affects uh you know them or like the the grand uh, swath of history or something you know what would kill me is if i have to have a hundred different conversations about the weather yeah. <laughs> well, I, I hear you. I mean, I, and I don't like small talk. And I don't think a lot of people like small talk at all. Um, I think this is a big difference. My wife is extremely introverted. Yeah. And so, for instance, she doesn't understand, like, I'll, I, I will spend time on Facebook just, like, chatting people up. Or, or like, or, or whatever. Like, I, I'll post things about like what we did. Like, oh, like I went out to dinner, you know, and the like Death star in the New York governor. Yeah, exactly. Start, you know, obnoxious, you know, arguments with people. My wife doesn't understand that at all. Like, mm-hmm. she's like, I, like, I don't need to let a thousand people know. Like what's going on in my life and what's on my mind and like, I she's, that. she's like she like in fact even like uh, she looks at Facebook you know, but like I'll see her she'll type out like this long response to something and then she'll be like, 
and she'll delete it and be like, forget it. Like she can't just put herself out there. It's like me. It's like that's I don't funny. know. I'd be like, you want to know everything that's on my mind right now? Here it is. You know, I just put it all out there. You know, See? and then like regret it later. That's funny. Yeah. I feel like I'm like in the middle of y'all because I definitely, I obviously put a lot of stuff up on social media and I get into weird conversations with people. But I also do what you just described April doing. Like I will write a really long thing and then I'll just erase it. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I've done that. Just like, like do I want to do this? And but like, I, I, I have to stop myself, especially yeah. when it comes to like because I don't want to. I've made it a point not to get into political, okay. you know, theology, whatever. I'll just, you know, that's not. But like politics, like I'll, I'll write and then I'll, I'm like, you know what, I can't, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll delete it. Um. Uh, Believe it or not, Father Matt, the next one is for you. Killer Moth or Professor Pig? Killer Moth is is he's kind of funky looking. He's very colorful. True. And uh, he was in the first like Batgirl story, and he was like some like millionaire who was like down on his luck, and he was kind of like the like uh anti-batman he was kind of like a batman copycat or whatever that's kind of interesting i i thought i thought he was kind of a weird character i mean his his costume is completely ridiculous but that's kind of what i love about it very 1960s um, yeah professor pig you know I, I i get it it's like the creepy nursery rhyme killer thing i feel like that's been done yeah you know i don't know um yeah. Killer Moth is probably a better character in my in my estimation. Have you um, ever seen the pilot they did for Batgirl on the Batman 1966 show? Um, they did a it was about a 10 minute long clip that would have been between season two and the beginning of season three, obviously. But Killer Moth was the villain. Oh, wow, that would have been cool. It was on YouTube for a while. I think they've taken it down now, but I watched it a couple of times. It's cool. They no, never, he, never did no, the character. No, I never saw that. Never oh, did did the he character. look like he did yeah. in the comic book? Yeah, yep. Oh, man, yeah. that would have been awesome. Yeah. I was hoping they would put it on the DVD, the Blu-ray, whatever, but they didn't. But they need to put that. the Batman 66 show up on DC Universe. They have problems, I think, because of the uh, 20th Century Fox. Yeah, Yeah. the licensing of 20th Century Fox. But, yeah, that would be great if they did. It's on Roku if you're looking for it on TV and you have a Roku. I have a Roku. The Roku channel has Batman 66. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Okay. uh, Father Kyle, supersessionism or super irrigation? (laughs) Can Can I choose neither? Um, <laughs> you know you have to choose one because this is this or that, and we always follow the rules slavishly whenever we play this or that. Yeah, right. That's I'm right. not sure who's winning at this point, by the way. I'm gonna say Father Matt's winning. I, I'm gonna go with a uh, single predestination. There you go. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> that is that is the answer to a question I did not ask, but I will uh, right. I will accept it. I will accept <laughs> okay. it. Um. Okay, and I will also accept that we are uh, coming to the end of our program, folks. 
if you want to listen to the show again or check out our growing archive of old shows, please go to our website at godandcomics.com. God and Comics, as uh, many of you know, is subscribable through iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, please take the time to give us a rating or a review. It will only take a few seconds, and it absolutely helps other people to find the show. Our theme music, which you're hopefully banging your head to right now, is by Father Paul Wheatley, who was once secretly replaced by Folger's Crystals, and no one could tell the difference. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Vance Tromberg. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. And we'll see ya.